Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you will atone! Hey, good afternoon, and it's so great to be with you from Athens. I uh, landed here July the 10th, so we've been here just a week. The temperatures have been hovering around 40 degrees during the day. Uh, The Greeks would say zesty. Uh, I'm sure they have other words, more descriptive words to uh, describe this heat, but I am not complaining, believe me, not complaining. Anyway, uh, I absolutely love Athens. My boys are enjoying Athens, and today the mighty Aphrodite arrived, so we're all together now. I was hoping to do the show live, but we're still working on getting some internet issues resolved, and I'm hoping to get a fiber optic line put in here uh, over the next couple of days. That's proving to take more time, uh, but it's being worked on. Uh, In the meantime, I have a a pocket Wi-Fi here, which is great, and by the way, the internet data, the internet data charges here are so inexpensive. We are truly getting fleeced by our internet providers in Canada. So uh, I have the pocket Wi-Fi, and it allows me to at least pre-record interviews, but not quite good enough to stream a two-hour show live over Zoom. But we do have all new shows for you this week, and then I'm off next week, at which time I'll uh, head down to Kalamata, and then I'll do some shows uh, from there, hopefully some live shows. Incidentally, uh, you may hear some dogs barking in the background, lots of dogs in, uh, in Greece, in Athens. Everyone, it seems, has at least one dog. And you may also hear cats. (laughs) There are a lot of cats in this neighborhood. Uh, Cats getting into fights, cats getting amorous, 
which is why there are so many cats in Athens. And then once I, once I get down to Kalamata, there'll still be lots of dogs uh, that you'll probably hear, but also goats and roosters. It's a, a virtual cavalcade of barnyard animals. Uh, lately, I have been watching a lot of interviews with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, mainly on Twitter, because he's been virtually uh, banned from YouTube. Imagine that, a presidential candidate during an election campaign being banned on YouTube. And um, this may come as a shock or a surprise to many of you, and, and quite frankly, it comes as a shock to me. Uh, but I like what I'm hearing from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, I don't agree with him on many things, I'm sure. I certainly don't agree with him when it comes to climate change. But we both agree that climate change is being used as a weapon to instill fear. He's actually said that. I believe he's genuinely interested in unifying the country. He's, he's garnering attention and praise uh, by not only traditional Democrats, uh, but also Republicans and independents. And Bobby Jr. is very, very strong in his positions on big pharma, calling for more scientific rigor when it comes to approving vaccines. Uh, he's not anti-vaccine, although that's what the MSM wants us to believe, that his positions are dangerous. Quite frankly, the MSM is afraid of Bobby Kennedy Jr. The MSM and the political establishment, meaning the donor class from both parties and permanent Washington, fear and loathe Bobby Kennedy Jr., perhaps more than they fear and loathe Donald Trump. And that's saying something. Bobby Kennedy Jr. is, is right about vaccines. He's right about how badly COVID was, was handled, mishandled. He's right about the war in Ukraine. He's right about the pervasiveness of the military-industrial complex. He's right about the CIA killing his uncle, and he said so publicly. So predictably, the military-industrial media complex are coming after him even here in Toronto, calling him a dangerous conspiracy theorist, which is just incredibly trite and predictable and tired. The recent attempt to, uh, the most recent attempt to discredit and smear Bobby Jr. has to do with a recent story in the New York Post by John Levine, who claims Kennedy, in an off-the-record remark, suggested that COVID was designed to spare Jews. Now, I don't believe Robert Kennedy Jr. ever said that COVID-19 virus was an ethnically targeted bioweapon that was created to spare Jews. But that's the lie, the smear that's being repeated. So Bobby Kennedy Jr. didn't say that. John Levine said that. And over the weekend, Bobby Kennedy Jr. issued this statement, the New York Post story is mistaken. I have never, ever suggested that the COVID-19 virus was engineered to spare Jews, and I unequivocally reject this disgusting and outlandish conspiracy theory. He said, New York Post reporter John Levine exploited this off-the-record conversation to smear me as an anti-Semite. This cynical maneuver is consistent with the mainstream media playbook to discredit me as a crank and by association to discredit revelations of genuine corruption and collusion. Uh, Joel Pollack uh, wrote in uh, Breitbart today that Kennedy never actually said that the coronavirus was ethnically targeted to spare Jews. It was Levine and not Bobby Kennedy who invoked these anti-Semitic tropes when he attributed words to Kennedy. 
Kennedy went on to say that by cynically leveling anti-Semitic charges, Levine devalues the term at a time when real anti-Semitism is rampant. What's more, by using the racially charged words sparing Jews with their biblical associations, he's inflaming fear, hate, and suspicion. Kennedy says that he'll be sending a a demand to Levine at the New York Post for a retraction of the article. And uh, Kennedy also confirmed that both the U.S. and China have done research into ethnically targeted bioweapons. History shows, he says, that Jews, Africans, and the indigenous have the most to fear from such technologies, he said. We must rein in all bioweapons research, whether these weapons are ethnically targeted or not. We saw what COVID did to the world when it was leaked from a laboratory. Bobby Jr. also recorded a conversation on this issue with Rabbi Shmuley in which he reaffirmed his non-negotiable support for the Jewish people in the state of Israel. On uh, Saturday, John Levine released video of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at an off-the-record event in New York City. Levine later wrote that the party was filled with farting and beer drinking, um, which was obviously um, a hit job. Uh, In the video, Bobby can be heard discussing how the spike protein cleaves more easily to some races because of the genetic structure of the, uh, the ACE2 receptor. And it's more difficult for the spike protein to cleave to the ACE2 receptor of other genetic races. So it tends to cleave more easily to blacks and Caucasians and less easily to Chinese and Ashkenazi Jews. And then he went on to say, we don't know if certain races are being targeted deliberately, but the Chinese and the Americans are spending millions of dollars developing ethnic ethnic bioweapons, and that's a fact. So this is a long way from suggesting that the COVID virus was engineered to spare Ashkenazi Jews. That's not, it's not even close to that. Don't believe it. This is the MSM working in lockstep with Big Pharma and the military industrial complex to take down a person I believe to be very honorable and genuine. And shame on the media in this country who are lying, who are buying into this uh, smear and helping to spread it. All right, coming up next, a vigil is being held tonight in Toronto for a mother of two who was gunned down about a week and a half ago in the Leslieville neighborhood. Predictably, the suspect has a violent criminal past and was out on bail when he allegedly killed this innocent woman. Toronto crime specialist Ross McLean is next. The Richard Sarah Show off and running for Monday, July 17th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Sarah Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. There's a vigil set to be held tonight for a woman who was killed by a stray bullet in Toronto's East End more than a week ago. The public vigil honoring the life of Carolina Hubner Muckerat, who was killed while walking in Toronto's Leslieville neighborhood, being held at Jimmy Simpson Park tonight at 6.30 p.m. Police have said the 44-year-old mother of two was hit by a bullet after a group of three men were in an altercation nearby and two of them fired guns at each other. Damien Hudson, a 32-year-old Toronto resident, has been arrested and charged with second-degree murder in the shooting while police continue their search for the remaining suspects. Here we go again. Court documents show Hudson previously served 15 months in jail after stabbing someone in the heart. He has a lengthy criminal history and police have said he was out on bail when he was arrested. Here with more is crime specialist Ross McLean, also the host of the podcast, The McLean Chronicles. Ross, welcome. How are you? 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I'm well, but this is a tough day and a tough evening with this vigil going on for uh, Caroline tonight. That's for certain. It's a dark day for the city. I don't know that the city recognizes that or not. I mentioned one of the uh, suspects, Damian Hudson, 32-year-old Toronto resident, arrested and charged with second-degree murder in the shooting. Uh, police continue their search for two outstanding uh, suspects. Here we go again, uh, Ross. Hudson previously served 15 months in jail after stabbing someone in the heart. Uh, one episode in a lengthy criminal history. Police said he was out on bail when he was arrested. How many times do we have to hear this tragic story? Well, too many times. And And let me tell you something about this. So murder is not an entry-level crime. Anybody who murders someone and is carrying a, a handgun and fires it in the street is not an entry-level guy. This isn't some, uh, I, I don't know, Netflix or Disney movie about the poor kid who gets caught in the middle of something. If you're carrying a gun and it's loaded and you're dealing drugs in this city, you're a gangster. You've done lots of crime before. You've been involved in lots of dirt before. And this city, uh, over the last, I got to say, 15 years anyways, 10, 15 years, has been run by the drug culture. It's it's taken off. There's a ton of money in drugs. And a lot of our dead that are dead from guns are dead because of drugs, gangs, and guns. I mean, they literally call it the guns and uh, gangs unit for, for drugs, that, right? That's what the police call it. So you've got this guy out who's done time before. And uh, it's no surprise to me. It's no surprise to the police. And uh, I think there's more than time to do something about it. You know, more than time right now. You mentioned 15 years ago. Would that coincide with the end of, um, I, it was, I guess, during the, uh, the Wynn provincial government, um, the street checks, the carding, as, as it's often referred to, were suspended the Wynn government promised to sort of re-examine it and maybe bring back something else. That never happened. Is is that when all of this madness started? That's where part of it started. Where it really took off was the Harper government had brought in a law for minimums if you're caught with a, with a handgun, right? If it was your second offense or something like that. I have to go back and look at the details. It was either you're doing three years, you're doing five years just for possessing a handgun. And what happened is a judge, Judge Malloy, Judge Ann Malloy, she decided in about 2012, crime and shootings were going like this on the chart. They were going down. But she decided 
that was cruel and unusual punishment. And if you remember the time at all, Richard, the judges were saying, no, it's our job to determine the penalties, not the legislature. The legislature and the people who vote for minimums, no, 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 we're not listening to them. We know better. We know better. So they decided to call that cruel and unusual punishment that there'd be a minimum for that. And as soon as they, she tossed it out, all the gangsters started carrying. Like the next day, they all started carrying. Before that, you could see videos of it. If you, if you look, there was that, that one gang documentary done on Toronto. The gangsters used to hide their guns in the housing projects or someone would have it. They'd be the runner. They'd call for the gun. The gun would come. Then they'd use it. Then they'd shoot somebody. But once that changed now, they all started carrying. I mean, all of them. I remember viscerally, Richard, talking to a an intelligence copper down at headquarters in Toronto, down there for covering another murder. And he was telling me how he was just leaving uh, the intelligence unit. But his wife, he said, was coming on to work on the unit. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? He says, I told her, you treat every one of these guys when you're dealing with them like they're caring because they are. And so that's where we are now. That's why you're seeing this progression of that. It started with the fact that you can carry the guns and have them so they're available, they can use them. And then, yeah, you move on to the carding. That was another thing. Now you can't stop and look at them and get their names and do the work. And, you know, it's such a convoluted trail. But let me tell you this, that carding was to stop the cops from going into where all the drug dens are run out of at the time. You might remember that time when they call it the, uh, there was one housing project. There it was literally a drive through to get your drugs. You would come up and you would drive through, you'd pay, you'd get your drugs. The guys, like they were turning over millions of dollars a year, some of these drug dealers out of these housing projects and stuff. Now, did any of that money make its way to politicians to say, hey, help keep the hmm. cops out of our way? Oh, I, no. I don't like to think that, but you know what? I think that. So there's a lot to it. And money has a lot to do with it. Why we're at where we're at and why Caroline, God bless her soul and her two daughters, why she's being buried uh, this weekend. Ross McLean is a crime specialist here in Toronto, former Toronto cop and the host of the McLean Chronicles. We'll tell you how you can listen shortly. Back with more in a moment. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Ross McLean is with us, Toronto crime specialist, host of the McLean Chronicles. How do we listen? Yeah, you can find me at my Twitter handle, McLean Chronicles. Uh, you find me on there, you'll find a link to the podcast. That's the easiest way to find it if you search for it. It's on Podbean. I post about it for my episodes when you see it. So just go follow me on Twitter. You'll be able to find a link to it. And 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 Richard, I am going to be doing more on these uh, this topic about the crime. I'm going to put together a little bit more on it. But let me give you another little bit of a headline on this, right? I, I'm talking to some of the more serious cops in this city who do the guns and gang stuff. You, you know what they tell me, Richard? They tell me none of these guys go away for doing any of this. If they do, they know it's for the shortest little time possible, and they're going to be back out. They tell me that it's ridiculous. When they arrest people, this is another big one. I'll cover this more in my podcast. But they introduced this thing a couple of years ago called the Form 10. It's a form to release people. You know, when they arrest people on the streets now for quite serious crimes, they don't even get a ride to the police station, spend overnight and go for bail in the morning. The police are required to release them with like a traffic ticket. They write out, here's your court date. Here's your traffic ticket. 
And oh, by the way, don't have any guns or come back to this place tomorrow. And they hand it to them and they send them off. You don't even get a ride to the cop shop for what used to be serious crimes. So these the criminals right now, they just treat them like speeding tickets or parking tickets. But this Damien and, Hudson, again, this 32-year-old Toronto resident who is allegedly responsible for the death of Carolina Hubner and Muckerat, who will, um, there'll be a vigil for her tonight, killed by a, a stray bullet in Toronto's East End back on uh, June the 7th, I believe it was, July the 7th, excuse me, July the 7th. Uh, just walking along a leafy Leslieville neighborhood street, 44 years old, mother of two. Uh, this Damien Hudson, uh, he served 15 months, just 15 months for stabbing someone in the heart. Uh, what would be the the bail conditions? I mean, are there any bail conditions? Why would this guy be out on the street so so quickly? The bail conditions don't matter at all. I mean, I, I think, now I have to go back to look at the specifics. I think this guy was put on a lifetime weapons ban years before that. He'd been in trouble a long time before these last major ones were putting out with the stabbings. And let me tell you that I, I believe, I stand to be corrected, that that was pled down from a manslaughter charge to get it to where it was. But he still did, I think, 15 months what they call dead time, meaning at least they didn't let him out after whoever he stabbed that last time. They kept him in. But see, the way the judges work, you get credit for that dead time. You know, for every month you're in on the dead time, they'll give you credit for three times that sort of thing. So he got a bit of a sentence, but he's back out. He's back out. He's been involved in altercations. He all but murdered a guy uh, or whatever the circumstances were. And he's back out with these other people involved in what was the shooting of a mother of two in broad daylight in the city. So I'm just trying to what's to prevent him from making bail again on this charge? Is that likely to happen? Well, you'll hold on for a little while. Maybe we'll see. Maybe if the public brings some pressure. But as I've been saying, the city of Toronto tolerates this. They tolerate this. And, uh, you know, the, the the coppers that I talk to, they're, they're, they're like, they're, they, I'll tell you what most of them have said to me for the last five, seven years, they've been saying this to me when I've gone to the different homicide scenes and talked to the coppers. They said, that the people of Toronto are getting the police force they deserve that they voted for because they're not, they don't feel supported by the politicians. They don't feel supported by the powers that be and by the courts. And uh, that's a pretty sad thing. I mean, the call time now for, if you put in a 911 call now for something happening, I think it's like 20 minutes is the response time. 20 minutes. You know how long that is when you're getting your it's head life kicked. and death. That's yeah. life and death. It's forever. It's forever, you know, for doing it. So we definitely need some changes to come along. And I think the challenge here for Olivia is for her to figure out how to do it when she's when she's basically does not like the police and her party affiliates do not like the police and don't want to support the police. Olivia Chow, mayor, just recently elected uh, mayor of Toronto. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what that swearing in ceremony was all about. <laughs> It was such a, it was like a, a scene out of a Fellini film. Um, we haven't had a chance to talk since uh, Olivia Chow was elected. It took her 72 hours, I think, to actually, before she actually commented on uh, this poor woman, poor woman's murder um, in Leslieville back in uh, July the 7th. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. It's Superstart Battery Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get up to a $25 gift card after rebate with the purchase of select Superstart batteries. Our professional parts people will test your old battery for free and recommend the right battery for your vehicle. For power, performance, and reliability, choose Superstart batteries only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Uh, what are your thoughts on on her taking seventy two hours to to actually speak about this? Well, it was it took her seventy two hours to say something publicly. I am informed by someone who's reliable that she apparently at some point did make a call to the husband prior to that to say she felt sorry. So okay, she made the call. But here's the problem that Toronto faces. Olivia has never accomplished anything in her life. She hasn't. She's accomplished getting elected. What she said when she made the comments about the murder of this woman is she did the Bill Clinton line. This is what she does. I feel for their pain. I can't imagine the grief. It must feel horrible. I've, I feel the pain of this family. We don't need someone that feels the pain of all of the walking wounded, the shot and the dead and all that in the city. We need someone who's going to have an answer for how to do it. Now, she doesn't have any answers for how to do it. You know, she literally, if you listen to her when she runs, she she uses all the words. She tells stories. You can find videos of her. She gets paid to do this. She ran a whole thing called how to be a community organizer. Well, you have to tell stories so that people feel emotional and you feel their grief. And we feel all these things. And let's let's get some counselors down there. to. That's not going to solve this problem. We need someone to solve this problem. And if she doesn't get serious about that, I'm telling you, I, you know, I said after Hubner was killed, I said this is going to be one of the worst summers of violence we've had in Toronto since. And it's done nothing but take off since I've said that. More shootings than I can count on one hand in the last little while. Yeah. And all she has to offer are, are platitudes. The wrong mayor for the wrong time. I don't know if there was ever a right time for Olivia Chow. Ross McLean, Toronto crime specialist, host of the McLean Chronicles podcast. More in a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. We are back with Ross McLean here on The Richard Serrett Show, Toronto crime specialist, host of the McLean Chronicles. Once again, Ross, how do we listen? Find me on my Twitter handle, at McLean Chronicle. Find me there. The link will be on my profile to find it. And uh, I, just, look, I look forward to talking to people and informing them more of the sort of things that we're talking about on your show all the time. Right. I was just going to ask you to give, give us kind of a sense of what the podcast is about, which, what, what topics that you deal with. It's not sort of news of the day. These are more kind of big ideas, right? 
Well, I'll tell you what I what I try to do, and I and I before I got into this, I talked to some people who know me pretty well and they, they know some things about what I do. And I said, what do you think I do well? What do you think I have to add? And I was told that I'm pretty good at taking complicated issues and making them simple so that people can understand the levers of how things work. And really, that's what I try and do. I try to bring a structure for people so they can think and see through these problems of the day. Like we're talking about today, these problems with crime in our city. There's levers to it. There's a structure to it. And I want people to know that so they can be educated when they when they look at the problem rather than just throwing up our hands and feeling helpless and, and moving on. So there, there's things that have caused these problems. We talked about a few of them in the last segments. But there's things that can also be done to help solve these problems. But are, are they going to do them? I don't see it right now. I see it getting worse. I don't have you know a, a lot of positive things to say about Olivia Chow, but in in truthfulness, how much can a mayor do? Does you talk about the levers here, um, the levers that cause the problem? The what, what about the levers that solve this problem? Are are the levers the Ontario Solicitor General's office, uh, and then also at the federal level with you know in terms of um, you know setting minimums and, and so forth, minimum sentences. Yeah, I mean, the whole framework, it does run from the federal all the way down to, to the mayors. But that's the place to start is with the mayor's office, because they have the bully pulpit there, should they choose to use it. They have the ability to talk about the budget and, and decide on what priorities are for where money gets spent and how to do it. And they also have the pulpit to be able to stand up and speak to the premier and say to the premier, hey, we need to get this fixed. But let me give you another little structural problem for Olivia. She's short a billion dollars coming into this uh, into this budget. Well, where is she going to get it from? Well, she says, "Oh, I'm going to ask the premier. I'm going to ask. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Trudeau to give us the money. That's how we'll make up the billion dollars, and I'll, I'll reassess your houses." There's only one taxpayer. If Olivia doesn't take it out of your pocket, she'll ask Doug to take it out of your pocket. If Doug doesn't take it out of your pocket, they'll ask Trudeau to take it out of your pocket. So somehow this has to get paid for. You can't play this game of someone else give me the money. You have to start doing the structural things. And part of what you can do there, uh, she's not going to do this, but you could start restoring a mandate to the police to clean up all the guns across the city to put a program on it. I will just say this without giving away any confidences. Another person I know, they have told me that the police do not have strong mandates right now within 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 the force about what they're supposed to do. All they do right now is they've really become a crime processing business. They process crime. Go here, stop the guy, write him a ticket, give him a date, pass him on, go to the next one. Boom. And that's all they do. They go from call to call processing crimes, not stopping them. You, you have to stop criminals. You have to stop them, particularly the violent ones. You don't process them. You have to stop them. And you have to support the police in doing that. And that means going where they are and not letting them hide under the cover of, uh, of racism or over-policing or all these euphemisms. Richard, I sat one time at a police board meeting. I sat there and listened, to, and they brought up some criminologists, some university criminologists that talked about how they were going to fight crime in Toronto and what the chief should do in the board, and they spoke to the board. I just about I just about lost my lunch. I never heard people who had no idea how the street and how the world works talk in my life than what these criminologists were saying for how to deal with it. So you need to get back to doing policing. It's, it's pretty basic, blocking and tackling. But guess what? Uh, 
even Tom Brady needed a Bill Belichick to give him some coaching, right? That's a great analogy. Yeah, the so-called experts who are in charge um, are um, well. I don't. I don't know that any of us have faith in them, and um, I don't know any. I don't know why anybody at this point would want to be a police officer. Quite frankly, I just. I don't. I understand the motivation, of, but but given the obstacles in their way to do what they, that needs to be done, I just don't understand why anyone would want to be. Uh, a, a cop in this day and age. Ross McLean is a Toronto crime specialist. He is the host of the McLean Chronicles podcast. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter and also link up to the podcast at McLean Chronicle. Ross, great speaking with you always. Thank you so much for this. Everybody stay safe out there. It's going to be one uh, one wicked summer. Thanks, Richard. All right. When we come back, Frank Terrazano from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation will talk about our contemptible grifter of a governor general. That story's next. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Our governor general, Mary Simon, racked up a total of, get this, $71,000 on a limousine service when she visited Iceland for four days last year, even though much of the program took place a half a kilometer, a half a kilometer from her hotel in Reykjavik. And uh, one of the main topics under discussion at the Arctic Circle Assembly was the need to cut emissions to fight climate change. Here with more, Franco Terrazano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Franco, doesn't get much worse than this, does it? No, it's pretty bad, hey? $71,000 is what the Governor General billed us. Four-day trip to the company Ice Limo Luxury Travel. Doesn't that sound sweet? Now, listen to how Ice Limo, this company, describes itself on its own website. Quote, genuine luxury travel life experiences crafted with flair and finesse entirely around your dreams. Now, look, we're not saying the governor general should be hitchhiking, but surely, surely the governor general could have found a way to do this for less money than the cost of a brand new BMW. I mean, Richard, guess this. For $71,000, the governor general could have bought her own 2012 Dodge Challenger stretch limo and still had money left over. Uh, what did she have a shooter bar in there in, you know, with all her uh, her high school friends for great like grade revisiting her grade 12 graduation or something? I mean, there's, you know, there is profligate spending. Uh, there's, you know, a $16 glass of orange juice. And then there's this. Like, where did this uh, this sort of Marie Antoinette kind of attitude um, start with this government? Yeah, I mean, $71,000 on a luxury transportation services ice limo for a couple days is in a league of its own, isn't it? Now, I don't know what's worse. There's three things that are here popping around my head, and I maybe you guys can help figure out which, uh, which is the worst here. The fact that they spent $71,000 on ice limos, okay, which is more money than what the average Canadian makes an entire year, or the fact that they dropped $71,000, even though their hotel was like an eight-minute walk away from the main conference center, or the fact that Mary Simon had both her uh, director of communications and her manager of strategic communications 
And neither of them thought to say, uh, hey, boss, I don't know, maybe spending $71,000 on luxury transportation services while Canadians are having a tough time putting gas in their car isn't exactly the best comms look. Is there not a cap on the travel expenses for the governor general? Well, you know, that's what has to happen. Something, right? The government has to intervene here because I don't know how many times we could say, hey, don't put your finger on the hot stove until they actually like figure this out, right? Because this isn't the first time that we've seen Governor General Mary Simon or previous governors general spending money like crazy, right? This trip, the total bill was $300,000, okay, for a four-day trip. Then you got the German book fair that they went to, a four-day trip where the governor general's portion of the cost was like eight hundred thousand dollars the total cost of taxpayers is it was somehow 18 million dollars i don't even know how the government could go out of its way to spend that type of money and then there was the infamous week-long trip to the middle east remember that it cost more than a million dollars yeah. to dubai expo 2020 uh simon and her entourage of about 30 people racked up almost a hundred thousand dollars on fancy airplane food so it's just one it's just one story of the governor general spending crazy amount of money after another uh, and then her there her there is her clothing allowance. Uh, she's a bit of a uh, uh, a clothing horse by uh, by all accounts. The governor general get this essentially gets a one hundred and thirty thousand dollar credit card to spend over their five year term on whatever clothes they want, and they get to keep the clothes. And the clothes don't have to be for ceremonial functions, right? This is the type of stuff that the government should just ax. There, there's no reason that Canadian taxpayers are paying for the governor's general's clothes, especially when their salary is about 350K a year. But let's look at some of the other spending that needs to go on the chopping block, okay? Let's talk about the pensions and the Julie Payette pension problem. Miss Payette served in the role for a little over three years, and she can still continue to collect more than $4 million through her pension to the age of 90. But here's the worst one, okay? A former governor general, they can retire, leave office, and still bill taxpayers for more than $200,000 every single year for the rest of their lives and up to six months after their death. Oh, dear Lord. So I know people say, well, we, let's just abolish the office. I, I actually happen to think that there is a, a role uh, for the king's representative in Canada in a parliamentary democracy. Um, and but And people say, well, you can't, get rid of it because you'd have to amend the constitution, but can't you simply defund or not defund it entirely, just put some hard caps on, on uh, clothing allowance, food allowance, travel expenses, uh, and also uh, the, the pension. You, you don't have to amend the constitution to do that, surely. No, no, you don't. You absolutely don't. This is all within the government, within members of parliament's power. Right. And, and you know, some members of parliament are actually doing a very good job on this. OK, one who comes to mind is, is Kelly McCauley. I don't give shout outs to politicians very often. I will give one out to the member of parliament, Kelly McCauley, who sits on one of the parliamentary committees who continues to push on this. But other members of parliament are, are, are essentially either not doing anything about this or are trying to stall cuts that need to happen. Right. So the governor, so the government and members of parliament, they absolutely can scrap the $200,000 expense account that former governors general get. They can take away that $130,000 credit card for clothing. They could change the pension rules so that you only get a payment for certain years that you actually served in the role. All of this can be done 
without changing the Constitution. And Richard, can I just like make a point here too to, to anyone who's a monarchist or anyone who's against the governor general's rule? Regardless of your position on the monarchy in Canada, on the governor general, regardless of your position, you should be against this type of waste. You should be against the governor general spending $71,000 on luxury transportation service when Canadians are really struggling back at home. Yeah, it's a no brainer. Uh, I mean, is it is it just me or is it like uh, for the Bank of Canada just gave, you know, millions of dollars in bonuses while, you know, again, people are choosing between keeping the lights on and, and putting food on the table. Millions of dollars in uh, raises and bonuses, despite failing at, you know, they had one job and they failed to do it. And that was keep inflation at that two percent uh, level. Uh, but is it just me or are they? It seems like they're flaunting this. They're doing it deliberately to antagonize Canadians. What are your thoughts? No, I, you know, I actually feel now I don't know if it's to antagonize Canadians. I don't know. But it sure feels like they're actually going out of their way to stay in the fanciest hotels, to take the sweetest rides, to feast on the most exquisite cuisine and to spend the highest amount of money possible. It sure feels that way. Absolutely. And it also feels that they either don't know how hard Canadians work for the money they earn and the taxes they pay, or they just don't care. And it also seems to me like there is no accountability, or at least the political arm of government, right? The ministers, the members of parliament, their staffers either don't want to hold the government part accountable or just can't. They just don't have the expertise to do it, right? But I don't know which one's worse because it kind of feels like the unaccountable part of government, the unelected bureaucrats are running the show. Does the governor general's expenses, do, do they need to be approved by the federal cabinet? Well, I certainly don't think that each one does, right? I certainly don't think each one does. Um, but look, the cabinet, the government can start reducing the size of the budget that Rideau Hall gets, right? The office of the governor general. There's nothing stopping that. But also, they can start reducing uh, areas of the budgets within Global Affairs Canada, within the Department of National Defense within the RCMP, because those are also the departments and the government agencies that are tasked with these types of trips. But hey, can I just make another point here? Because I know we're talking about the governor general and we should be, but it's not just the governor general, right? One of the top bureaucrats that is involved with this type of trip planning tried to defend the governor general spending abroad by saying, well, you know, it's not out of the ordinary. That was meant to be a defense, but rather it's an indictment of the true, the true problem. Mm. The true mm -hmm. problem is that it's not just the governor general. You've got Trudeau spending $61,000 on fancy Manhattan hotel rooms during a two-day summit. You've got Trudeau uh, racking up $400,000 in hotel expenses during the Queen's funeral, including his own $6,000 per night stay in a luxury hotel suite. Right? You have Finance Minister uh, Christia Freeland, who booked they in the wrong city during an international climate conference and then bill taxpayers $3,000 for luxury chauffeur service. So it's everywhere. The fat is everywhere. Grifters. Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Check out their newsroom, some great articles up at taxpayer.com. Franco, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, hour two straight ahead, including my interview with Gerald Salente, editor, publisher of the Trends Journal, plus Daniel Boardman from the National Telegraph on rumors that the Prime Minister is preparing to step down.
The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! And you Hey, and welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show, coming to you from Athens, Greece. And there are the uh, dogs in the background that I told you about. You'll hear a lot of those over the next uh, several weeks. Cats, roosters, uh, sheep, uh, goats, you name it. Coming up this hour, Daniel Boardman from the National Telegraph will be here. Uh, We'll talk about uh, some persistent rumors that are circulating that the Prime Minister... Little Potato, the trust fund brat Justin Trudeau, uh, is getting ready to step down or will be pushed aside uh, by the Liberal Party brass because his uh, disapproval uh, numbers are uh, going up, 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 and his approval ratings are going down, 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 and it's getting difficult for the uh, the federal liberals to fundraise with this character at the helm. So uh, we'll find out whether these uh, rumors have any substance uh, when Daniel Boardman joins us a little bit later. Always a pleasure to welcome back the world's top trends forecaster and the editor and publisher of a terrific journal, the Trends Journal, trendsjournal.com. They've been publishing since 1980 worldwide, usually about 200 pages, I would say on average 200 pages of incredible information. And get this, no advertising, zero ads. Here with a uh, a tease of what's coming up in the next edition of the Trends Journal, our good friend, Gerald Salente. Gerald, how are you? I'm all right. Um, okay, considering what in the world is going on, what a freak show in front of us. I've, I've never seen or felt anything like this in my life. It's, uh, it's so sad that we have these imbeciles, morons. You know, it's like we haven't left kindergarten. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. 
tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Time to take a nap. Time to take a nap. I'm not tired. I take a nap every day. It's time to take a nap. You follow your leader. You do what you're told. I thought that was Jill Biden talking to the president. <laughs> uh, it's a freak show. I mean, take name the country. Yeah, what well, you got the little Katso Macron over there in France, you know, the boy with the fake air and the, the bad attitude, you know, and you got the uh, that Sudak uh, that followed Boris Johnson in, in the UK. You couldn't come up, you, a cartoonist could not have come up with a better freaky figure than Boris Johnson. It's one country after another. The people that are in politics are the people I hated in high school and college that wanted to be class president and head of the student council. Arrogant little boys and girls who tell you what to do. I, f I feel the exact same way. I've, I've often said that. The people that we are ruled by, they're everyone I used to hate in high school. I'm with you 100%. Uh, they'd be elected to the student council and they would... Uh, uh, instead of, you know, getting us good snacks in the vending machine and, uh, you know, more dances and good bands, they they would declare the school a nuclear free zone. Yeah, that's going to help anybody. Anyway, <laughs> um, let me ask you just kind of uh, as an overview, because I mentioned you've been publishing since 1980, over 43 years. Uh, have you I mean, has there ever been was there ever a period in that run where you had to sit down with your staff and say, wow, this is kind of a slow week. This is a slow news. What are we going to write about compared yeah. to today where like you could put out a 200 uh, you could put out a 200 page edition every single day these days? Yes and no, in the sense that back then there was a thing called newspapers. True. And they had news. in them. You look at the thickness of what the Wall Street Journal used to be, what the New York Times used to be. And now they're nothing. They're back to nothing. So you're getting a lot less information. We cover the world. So we go to the Global Times of China. We go to IRNA in, in Iran. You know, we go, we go to Al Jazeera. We, you know, we, we, we go around the world. Look, we go to TASS News Agency. You know, we want to hear all sides of everything. That's the difference that's going on now. But back then, you had a lot more coverage of a lot more issues. And now it's all one-sided stuff and not a lot in it. I mean, it, it, matter of fact, the, the New York Times, they call themselves the paper of record. I call themselves the toilet paper record because that's all they're good for is to use it to wipe you, you know. And now they're just getting rid of their sports division. In other words, they keep firing, 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 firing people. And you name the name the company. Oh, Vice just went bankrupt. Oh, BuzzFeed's going down. Oh, Business Insider fired ten percent of its staff. It's one after another. There's no journalism left, and and the bigs have bought out everybody. All these private equity groups have bought out Gannett, and so there's no journalism anymore. So back then. There was a lot more news to cover. Now we have to go hunting for it. You could argue, though, that that the the failure of these uh, legacy media giants uh, is opening up more space for independent journalists, citizen journalists, independent news voices. Yes, but you need the money behind you to make it happen, to have the journalists. You know, again, 
I was the assistant, by the way, the secretary of the New York State Senate at uh, 26 years old. I was on the other side. That's why I know what I know. Anyway, they used to have, you know, uh, up in up in the Senate, up in Albany, you know, they had AP, they had Reuters, they had UPI, they had all they had all the the big news outlets had people in the at at the not only the state level but at all the city levels what was going on in in the cities they don't have those reporters anymore so you need a lot of money to make this happen and the billionaires and multimillionaires aren't interested at all the hedge funds the private equity groups the venture capitalists they own the whole thing and they're not putting money into making news and, and journalism they're only putting money in to make money and they're doing putting money in to make money by firing as many people as they can and uh, and trying to get the profits up as much as they can right and at the same time i guess it's kind of a two for special they get to operate now in the dark because as you say there are no, there's no journalists keeping tabs uh, on yep. them anymore Gerald Salente is the editor publisher of the Trends Journal, trendsjournal.com. Uh, just give us a, a sneak peek of what's coming up in, I guess, uh, tomorrow's edition. Well, well, the big news is really that's not making the news at all. It's the office building bust. And, and again, I want to make this very clear. All the articles they write about, they talk about the pandemic, what happened during the pandemic. It was not a pandemic. The World Health Organization, who, who what? Who, a bunch of slow-life bureaucrats. And that's the other thing. The people that are bureaucrats are the dumbest jerks around that can't get a job in the real world that suck into the system, bow down, and take it any way they can to get what they can. And they become the most arrogant. Who called it a pandemic in March of 2020, when the COVID war began in January, mid-January 2020 in China, on Lunar New Year, the year of the rat, when they called it a pandemic, less than 8,000 people allegedly died of COVID only out of 8 billion people. It was not a pandemic. 99.91% of the people are still alive. So let's go back. They call it a pandemic. Politicians destroyed the earth with the COVID war. The damage it's done is incalculable. So let's go to the office building bust. Stay home. Don't go to work. If you do, you're going to die of COVID. Oh, who started this? Oh, the little geek boys over there in San Francisco. Office building bust? Oh, your office vacancy rate in San Francisco is now only at 30%. No, no, I'm not talking occupancy rate. I'm talking vacant buildings. You look around the United States, the average of the 10 largest cities is over 20% vacancy rate. All the businesses that depended on commuters going out of business. So now what's going to happen? Oh, they don't talk about this. There's only about $20 trillion worth of commercial real estate loans. Who's going to pay the mortgages and the loans on these big buildings that are not being occupied and leases aren't being renewed? 
What banks are going to go down on this? The banking system is fine. I'm Janet Yellen. I'm screaming at you. I'm the clown that was the head of the Federal Reserve. And now the U.S. Treasury Secretary, boys and girls, to show you who's running the show, the banksters who said there was no inflation. It was temporary and transitory. And, and now the banking system is fine. What are you talking about? How are they going to pay all these loans on all these buildings? They're not. We are in for a banking crisis, the likes of which we've never seen before. But don't worry about it. Because when all else fails, they take you to war. Again, in trend forecasting, all things are connected. So they get your mind off it by ramping up war. And that's what they're doing in Ukraine. Go back to the Great Depression. What followed it? Oh, World War II. Hey, what followed the dot-com bust? The war on terror. And now we're going to see World War III escalate as the United States and NATO increase the arms deliveries and other putting more soldiers with the just called up reserves in the United States to ramp up this war. When all else fails, they take you to war. 88% of the people were so stupid, they believe the crap spewing out of the mouth of that little daddy's boy, George W. Bush, that we're going to get that guy with Solid Bin Laden, get her alive. Yep. The Ukraine war, or the Afghan war, 88% of the people supported it. Gerald, we'll take a quick time out. Back with more of my conversation with the editor-publisher of the Trends Journal, trendsjournal.com. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Gerald Salente stays with us, the editor-publisher of Trends Journal, trendsjournal.com, one of the world's foremost trends forecasters. And um, you talked about Ukraine. Uh, Joe Biden announced that they're going to send uh, these uh, cluster bombs, which are banned um, in much of the world. Um, is this basically and in fact he he kind of said the quiet part out loud when he was asked why mr president are you sending cluster bombs to bomb russians he said because we're running out of ammunition is that what it amounts to they have nothing left to send i don't know uh they they but again cluster bombs are banned by 120 countries and uh then you go back that saki that used to be his mouthpiece and now she's what with MSNBC just to show you what a clown show it is. Uh, she said, oh, the United States would never do it because it would be a war crime to send cluster bombs. And now they sent them. I'm saying we have main, maniacal people in charge. These are demonic, evil people. Listen to the stupidity spewing out of the mouth of these fat cats that can't fight their way out of a paper bag. How about the slob jerk moron imbecile? Chris Christie over there that's running now for, for president. This guy couldn't fight for anything, but quote, I want Ukraine to have every weapon they need to be able to win the war. And this is a proxy war, not just against Russia, but as you know, it's a proxy war against China. Oh yeah. Then listen to this. The job of a leader is not to follow polls. It's to change polls. 
we can spend this money now and have Ukrainian soldiers fight our war. The job of a leader? That sloppy piece of garbage leading me? Who the hell are you? And it's not my war. And I want to make this clear to everybody listening. If you support the Ukraine war, go over there and fight or shut your mouth. Send your money. Send your wife. Send your kids. Send your transgenders. Send everybody that you want to go fight if you support it or shut your mouth. Talk is cheap. Then the other clown boy. Pence, pencil head. I believe that it is in the interest of the United States of America to continue to give Ukraine military the resources they need to repel the Russian invasion and restore their sovereignty. Anybody that says, you ready? We can't be the leader of the free world and solve our problems at home has a pretty small view of the general, the, of the greatest nation on earth, we can do both. A pencil. Get this straight. We are not the leader of the free world. We have no right leading anybody else into the world. I, Gerald Salenti, am a patriot. I believe in George Washington, the founding fathers, Eisenhower, JFK. No foreign entanglements. These are not, this, this crap has been going on for centuries. Washington basically said in his farewell address in Europe, we are not to get involved in any of them. Oh, the Ukraine-Russian uh, conflict, that's only been going on for 300 years. Oh, they took down the statue of Catherine the Great. Guess she wasn't that great. That was only about 1750. So these are the little clowns that are telling us what to do. Well, They're it's interesting that... It's interesting, uh, Chris Christie actually, again, said the quiet part out loud, it admitted uh, that this is a proxy war. This isn't yep. about this isn't about a humanitarian effort, which was originally what Joe Biden said this was. It's humanitarian. Now they're admitting this is the United States getting to throw sticks and stones at uh, at President Putin and Russia. They want to deplete Russian forces, defense forces, and they want to use the Ukrainians as a bloody uh, as a, a bloody battering ram. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. Again, this crap has been going on our whole lives. When I was a kid, they had us hiding under a desk in case an atom bomb went off by the Russians. Every time I was a kid, I swear to God, every time I'd see a plane in the air as a little kid, I was afraid. I thought it was a Russian plane that was going to drop bombs. They've been this anti-Russian propaganda has been going on since the end of World War II. And all it does is build up the military industrial complex. Anybody that cares should read JFK, John F. Kennedy's speech, June 1993 to graduating students at American University. It's all about peace. Oh, uh, 63. I, th I think you said 1993. Uh, I'm yes. Sorry. Yes. 63. This was the nail in his coffin, I think, this speech. But you said it perfectly because five months later, Jack, you're dead. And, and, he, and he goes on to say we should not hate the Soviet Union. More people died in, in, in the Soviet Union during World War II than any place else. Their farms, their, their factories, their homes would destroy the equivalent of, of Chicago East. 
At the end of the speech, he said, he goes on to say, if we go to war with Russia and have a nuclear exchange, life on Earth will end in 24 hours. And it will be it will be declining for civilization for, for generations. At the end of his speech, he said, America will never again go to war. Eight months after they killed him, LBJ took us into the Vietnam War. All right. Another quick timeout. Gerald Salente stays with us, with us, editor, publisher of the Trends Journal, trendsjournal.com. Back with more in a moment. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Gerald Salente is with us, editor, publisher of Trends Journal, the Trends Journal, trendsjournal.com. How do we subscribe, Gerald? Trendsjournal.com, trendsjournal.com. And that's until we change the name to transjournal.com. <laughs> I mean, look at this stupid crap going on. I mean, this is like unbelievable that you have to accept that somebody gets their testicles or their breast cut off and that's normal. And, and how dare I say that's not normal? I don't care what you do, but don't tell me, oh, by the way, all the kids going to college now, I'm hearing from one college student after another. When they introduce themselves, the guys have to say, uh, what what it's uh, he him and the women she me uh, she her and 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 the transgenders they them oh yeah there's I about mean, 50 other ones there's about 50 other pronouns oh my god so I you know I gotta tell you I think we're at the end of life on earth because we are again we're heading to a nuclear destruction and you can see the decline of society by all these different levels of what we're talking about I mean this is insanity to me it's insanity. And again, you want to do it? Fine. Do it. But do not tell me that I got to swallow the crap that you like to swallow. So it's trendsjournal.com. We won't change it to trendsjournal.com. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> do you get a sense, though, that this, you know, whether we're talking about the trans uh, issues or we're, we're talking about the whole woke uh, ideology, that that is increasingly becoming just kind of a North American thing. And and the West, as we call it, is becoming increasingly isolated and out of step with the rest of the world. You look at Russia, China, India, the BRICS nations, all of these countries that came together under the, is it the Shanghai conference? You've got probably 80% of the world's population now is turning their back on this nonsense. So it's the West now, the United States, Canada, I'm sorry to say, England, maybe Germany. There's rumblings, you know, that in Western Europe, they've had enough of this as well. We're seeing the fall of the uh, the government in uh, the Netherlands. Perhaps the farmers uh, populist party will come to power. Spain has an election. It looks like the, the conservative populist people are coming to power there. It looks like Canada, the United States, England are really the odd man out in the world. Yes, the populist movements are really taking over. And we've been forecasting this, by the way, anti-immigration, anti-tax. And, and that's going to be that's the foundation of it. And the country's going down. But going back to the Netherlands, the guy that became or the woman that became Miss Netherlands is a, is a mm. guy that got his, what, he got his, either his penis or his testicles cut off. And now he's Miss. He's, I mean, I can't make this crap up. But Russia just passed anti, you know, uh, transgender laws and other things. But you're you're definitely correct. Uh, the world has had enough of America's hegemony, both in the socioeconomic levels and the geopolitical levels. 
And by the way, another important trend is the death of the dollar. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The dollar is going to die when they start lowering interest rates. And they're going to raise them maybe another 50 basis points, 25 basis points, uh, two more times. And after they do it, the after the first time, you're going to start seeing the dollar decline. And we're forecasting that gold prices are going to go up very rapidly. Uh, and, and you don't have to believe me. You're looking at central banks buying more gold now than ever. In the first quarter of this year, they bought 155% more than they did at the uh, same time last year. And they know how bad it really is. This whole thing has been artificially propped up with cheap money and uh, artificial low interest rates. That, all that's coming to an end. So when they start lowering interest rates in the United States, it's going to begin the death of the dollar. Are the uh, BRICS countries, uh, once they adopt, if they haven't already done so, a currency that will be backed by gold, um, what's that going to is that not going to cause uh, countries to dump their U.S. dollars? So all of that inflation that the, the United States currently is able to export, they can print the money, but then that money goes abroad. It's used for, uh, you know, to purchase commodities and so forth. Once countries start dumping the U.S. dollar, there's no place to export that inflation. What are we going to see happen in terms of inflation in the United States once the BRICS country fully embrace this gold backed currency. Oh, as you said, inflation is going to go up because the dollar is going to go down. So it's going to cost us more and more to buy less and less. And by the way, when you look at the, the, the these inflation numbers and they say they're coming down, yeah, you know, they're not coming down. Yeah, they're low. They're not going up as fast as they were. But the prices that are high in, in many areas continue to continue to escalate. So, for example, a new car costs, what, $50,000? You know, otherwise the price is going to go down to 0.5%. I mean, it's not going to, it means nothing. The same thing with housing. And by the way, housing prices aren't going down. They're still going up. Education. I mean, you can't afford to go to school for most kids, uh, college. So, so yes, prices are going to go down uh, as uh, inflation is going to, inflation numbers are going to go down, but still, the numbers are still very high. Uh, the cost of medical care, on and on and on. Rents. So, and as you point out, when the BRICs come out with the other currency, you're going to see the death of the dollar, inflation skyrocket, and people become poorer. By the way, the United States became the country that our founding fathers fought against, Great Britain. The sun never sets on the British Empire as they were slaughtering people all over the world. And then they went broke after World War I because of all the wars they were in. 
Same things happen to America. We put our money into war rather than into manufacturing and building up the economy. And we're going down the same way. We became who they be, who our founding fathers hated. What is it that the United States has? Something like 800 bases around the world? 800 bases in over what, 70 countries? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And what does China have? A couple of bases? And the business of China is business. The business of America is war. And it, it, they've destroyed our country. You know, and it's it's just it's it's heartbreaking to me. You know, I'm I'm only me because I'm a Napolitano born in the Bronx, born to be free. And I and I see what's happened to this country. And it's it's just it breaks my heart to see how they've destroyed it. And again, don't believe me. Believe a guy by the name of Dwight D. Eisenhower, five star general, supreme commander of the Allied forces in World War II that warns the American people that the military industrial complex is robbing the nation of the genius of the scientists the sweat of the laborers and the future of the children. And here we are. Here we are indeed. The Trends Journal, a new edition coming out tomorrow, and you can subscribe at trendsjournal.com. Editor-publisher Gerald Salente, always a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, we really need more of your voices out there uh, to, to bring freedom back to the people. This is so sad what's happened that any time that you don't swallow government crap, it's called misinformation. And by the way, I find that sexist. We shouldn't call it misinformation. We should call it maybe gender information. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Information. <laughs> All right, Gerald, thank you. Thank you. All right, when we come back, there are serious rumblings that the crime minister, Justin Trudeau, may step down before the next election expected in 2025. Daniel Boardman, senior correspondent with the National Telegraph, is next. Just having a little chinwag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The rumor mills are in high gear right now. It is being strongly, strongly rumored that the crime minister, Justin Trudeau, is either going to step down or be pushed aside before the next election, likely coming in 2025. Daniel Boardman is a senior contributor with the National Telegraph. He joins me now. Hey, Daniel, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. We've heard this so many times, right? Um, and we thought, going back to the, I don't know, the uh, the trip to the Aga Khan's island, and then there was, you know, the ethics violations there. Then there was the SNC-Lavalin scandal, and he's escaped that one. Oh, he's not going to survive this. He's not going to survive the uh, the COVID inquiry. <laughs> he just sees the Teflon man. Um, why is this rumored sub substantially different, do you think? Yeah, I think it's also a bit of time, um, you know, where 10 years is a good amount of time for people to sour on a politician, um, you know, there's always the incumbents more likely to win, but that's, you know, four or five years of just familiarity, you know, 10 years of, of, of Trudeau policy has sort of let us down, you know, the the path to, well, I mean, you're seeing it where inflation's run amok, everything's more expensive. Um, the, their solution to everything, especially inflation, is print more money and inflate the currency. So you have a bit of that. Um, and he might have sort of hit a wall in terms of popularity where, you know, he has his supporters, he has his fan club, uh, but he's not growing it m out much more. And you have the liberals who are not fundraising well. I mean, they're being out fundraised by the conservatives and it's not everything, but it is significant. A leadership race would bring more people uh, into it. And the, so that's one of the things is the money. 
uh, leadership race brings in more money. Same thing we've been saying about the NDP, but Jagmeet's holding on for dear life. Uh, money would help uh, help them going forward. Uh, people have said, oh, there's there's no depth behind Trudeau. There's no people there. I, I think that's a mistake. Um, they have people like Christopher Freeland, who you might not like, but as soon as she takes over, you're going to get an op-ed in the Globe and Mail, CTV, CBC, Christopher Freeland, super genius or mega genius. We don't know. Um, so the, the Christopher Freeland's a genius who's held every important political position. That, that narrative will pop up and people will take it. So I think there is, you know, room for a leadership debate. And, you know, it's 10 years. Trudeau's narcissism might mean he might want to sort of walk away on top, say, you know, I made it 25 to 10 years, 2015 to 2025. Oh, I'm so tired. I've I've worked so much. I just want to move on to the next phase of my career, which is running around the UN saying, you know, climate change is going to kill us all in 15 minutes. Uh, being a less mature version of Greta Thunberg essentially is what we're going to get. And he could just go off. Less mature version. Did and, you say a less mature version? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a less mature ver- version of Greta Thunberg. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're both screaming teenagers, but one of them's a teenager, so you can forgive it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, this this, this uh, is the case. So is this more a product, do you think, of you know, all governments sort of have their, their you know, their term, their their time. Expiration and date? Ten, yeah, expiration yeah. date. Thank you. And 10 years, I mean, 10 years seems to be it. Um, like with the Harper government, you know, um, it, yeah. it wasn't. Is that is that the case here that it's just it's time or is it more personal? People really are. When you look at his approval and disapproval ratings, people have finally at long last have had it with his character. I'll take a bit of column A, bit of column B on that one. Um, There's also like a precedent for this in the Liberal Party. Remember John Christian walking away before the sponsorship scandal hits to, you know, bring in Paul Martin and 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 we can just pretend, oh, all that corruption was Justin Trudeau's, not Christopher Freeland or or Mendicino or Omar Al-Gabra, whoever, you know, the they they bless us with as as a successor. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, you know, people are tired of it and they're starting to see um the flaws. You know, you can't always go back and say, blame Stephen Harper. Every year this gets more and more ridiculous. So I see it. I see it mostly as just a. Um, I'll say like the ten-year expiration date, where people are like, kind of want something new. We like what's familiar, and then we get tired of it and want something new. I think this is it. Um, and you can't underestimate the fact that there are people inside the Liberal Party who don't like the direction it's going in. Um, there are the old school. I mean, you can make an argument. John Christian is more conservative than Pierre Polyev, especially no on social issues. No question. Um, you know, Polyev has that sort of libertarian streak to him, do a lot of things, and that that affects the policy. But you know, John Christian's party, you can, yeah, it wasn't like this ultra conservative, blah 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 blah. But it was, it's fundamentally a different party than Justin Trudeau's. I would, take, still them, I would take the Christian. I would take the Christian liberals in a heartbeat. We'll uh, come back more of my conversation with yeah. Daniel Boardman, senior contributor with the National Telegraph. Support independent media, thenationaltelegraph.com. Back with more in a moment. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Is the prime minister preparing to uh, step down before the next federal election in 2025. Daniel Boardman is here, senior contributor with the National Telegraph, thenationaltelegraph.com. Is it likely that he's making this decision or is he, if it's about fundraising, 
and someone is telling them, listen, the money's not coming in. We can't fundraise off of you anymore. Is it the party brass that's telling them it's time to go? Yeah, this is a hard one to know. I, I mean, my instinct would say there's got to be some top down party brass saying it. But when you look at like who the party brass is, like a lot of it's been replaced by the hardcore Truanon people. I mean, Katie Telford and Rob Silver, uh, chief of, the chief of staff and her husband, uh, you know, Algabra was in, instrumental in bringing Trudeau in. Um, I don't see Christia Freeland's like the next biggest figure. Is she going to turn on him? I mean, Lametti is a sycophant to Trudeau. All the anti-Trudeau people have kind of been purged. Like there's been some purges. The Jody Wilson-Raybould, Jane Philpott being the the two biggest ones. You've seen her, uh, Sabrina Chavantes, uh criticized the leader. She was out. So my, there's got to, I mean, I think there there is this faction we've been hearing from this Liberal Party, you know, especially since the convoy that was, you know, unhappy with the direction they're taking. But from what I've been able to infer is the anti-Trudeau faction um, is se- sequestered to the backbench. They're not a lot of frontbenchers. Ca- yeah, I don't mean the cabinet. I mean that when I, I guess I should clarify, when I say the party brass, I mean the executive, like the president of the party and yeah. those, the backroom people. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, it's been 10 years and, and we're not sure how many, we're not sure how many old school liberals there are in there. It's kind of where I'm going with this is, I'm not, we're not like the new people who've come in and the new, the new elections. We don't really know. I mean, I mean, I, I hear a lot more obviously rumblings from the inner conservative circles because I'm in those circles. I know some of those people, you know, I, I speak that language. I, I can, I can sort of suss out the internal uh, uh, debates are harder to do with the liberal party. Um, be a bit more of a cult of personality here. I do. I got to imagine there's some people in executives who are, who still like money. And are crunching the numbers and realize that Trudeau's a bit bad for business right now. Um, so that could always be it. But I, I I can't see a scenario in which he doesn't have at least some say. Like I could see it maybe being like at least 30% his decision. But I do think in order to get rid of Trudeau, someone's going to have to sell this to him. And he's going to have to walk away because I, I, I just I don't see I don't see humility in his personality profile. I, I would see if he does walk away, I'd see it as some sort of narcissistic, I could say it was never defeated. I'm the greatest prime minister of all time because everyone loved me type thing, sort of keeping up that delusion. Now, this isn't just mere speculation, right? This is a, a strong rumor that's circulating that you, the National Telegraph has become aware of. I'm not asking you obviously to give up sources, but can you give us a hint as to where this came from? I mean, yeah, I mean, Wyatt said is Wyatt Claypool, my colleague said, is sort of ear to the ground. He's been running um, in the Calgary Signal Hill and he's putting together sort of um, a political campaign of his own to to get office. And he, this has come from sort of interactions with people, um, you know, higher up in the party. And this is it's more of a general audio, I'd say, general swirl of rumor from Ottawa and people in it who are like, you know, you know, just a few different people who've been around let's say that 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 insider political circle who are those rumblings are coming from and then you, you back it up with a few numbers and you got you got a rumor i'm listen i'm still not going to go out to sell to people like i'm putting guys bet your house on bet 365 or whatever gambling app sponsors this station uh go bet on trudeau uh walking away i'm not going to tell you to do that but 
I'm at the point where I could see it happening. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. It It's kind of also what we've been predicting for a few years after Convoy. Like, okay, one re-election. He seems like he's going to hang on till 2025. But it looks like he's not going to be able to hang on further than that. And, you know, I think the Trudeau thing is to just sort of ride it to the end, walk away without losing an election, and then pin it on Christopher Freeland or something or, or the other liberals for failing to defeat Polyev and, you know, going away for a few months and rehabilitating his image as, you know, the most un- unifying uh, political figure in all of uh, Canadian history. That's so what we seem to be blessed with. The timing of this, um, because obviously you have to um, you have to have a, a leadership convention. You have to have um, time for the electorate to get to know, you know, the new leader. So what do you I mean, if you were advising the prime minister who's decided or he's being pushed out the timing of this, would it be like now? Would it be Christmas? Would it be, I don't know, mid I, I, I would. I, I would I would say the the time I think you're you're right on the timeline here. I, I'd say a year from now is sort of like where the timeline we're looking at. I'd say he he still has an easy next another six months. Like I I wouldn't expect this in 2023. I'd expect to go entire 2023 with um, the Justin Jagmeet coalition, and then as we get into 2024, I would I mean I, I'll I I would start to read the tea leaves a bit. Uh, you know, harder in 2024, uh, because that's right. That's when we're getting to crunch time. That's when we're seeing, right, if he gets further and further underwater on the disapproval ratings, um, if, you know, the economic situation is, is getting worse and worse and worse, um, if they lose control of sort of the media narrative as they can no longer op-ed away their incompetence, the Toronto Star, sorry, the the, the, the newspaper that shall not be named on this show, um, then I think mm-hmm. we're getting more and more likely if, we have this thing where Canadians maybe just plateau and go, oh, I don't care, Trudeau, I, I don't really know what's going on. Then you might see him um, make a shot at it. But I think if we're in 2024 and we see the numbers that are getting worse for Trudeau continue to get worse, I think the the phone calls to his office from you know insiders saying, hey, Justin, you might think of this you know, for the good of the team. I think you'll get a lot more of that. And then by you know spring 2024 i think we'll have a pretty clear uh idea of like is this going to happen or not and we should mention this is uh, according to abacus data uh, trudeau's personal approval approval rating sits at 31 percent. that's almost joe biden territory and his disapproval rating sits at an all-time high of 52 percent back in 2021 july of 2021 two years ago trudeau was at 40 percent approval 42 percent disapproval so it looks like he's um his his disapproval and, and approval are getting into uh you know the the um beyond repair repair like there's no coming back from this so um we'll uh we'll watch with interest so, yeah, another six months i guess just hold on folks we just have to hold on for another six months yeah. and generally i would say that the death line of a politician's current approval is about the 25 percent mark so we're six percent away if he hits 25, I, I'll change my tune to a more emphatic, like, okay, he's done. Um, that That's a number they can't cross. That's where the party starts to potentially get into losing party status if, if they go below there and they really have to make a change. Um, but who knows? We, we can only hope that more Canadians sort of wake up and study an 11th grade economics textbook and realize, oh, supply and demand, those are real things. <laughs> Daniel Boardman, senior contributor with the National Telegraph, the nationaltelegraph.com. Daniel, thank you so much. My pleasure.
All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Ryan. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you at 4 p.m. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.